Welcome to the Pandora Podcast, where fellowship-trained pain specialists Dr. Melissa Cady and Dr. Kevin Cucaro reveal the secrets of pain care, including harmful practices, healthy tips, and the hope found through the science of pain. Please note, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute a physician-patient relationship. Please discuss your medical issues with your personal health professional. For more information and free resources, visit Pandora.com. Now on to the show. Well, welcome back to the Pandora podcast. I am Dr. Melissa Cady, the Challenge Doctor, joined by Dr. Kevin Kukaro, affectionately known as Dr. Kevin. And we're here today to... You get the Challenge Doctor, I get affectionately Dr. Kevin. <laughs> I don't know. It just came out that way. I don't know if it sounded right or not. Um, well, today we're going to have a little discussion and really prompted by an article that you read, Dr. Kevin, do you uh, want to take it from here and, and talk about uh, what you discovered on, was it New York Times? Well, it, it, it wasn't, um, and I just shared my screen right now, so I don't know if it pops up and you guys can see mm -hmm. it, but it wasn't specific to the New York Times. It was more about comments that I've been seeing as we go through this COVID uh, pandemic. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we're in the middle, so we're recording this, it is May 1st, uh, 2020. And we're in the middle, it's been however many weeks now that social distancing has been in effect, a lot of people are being told to stay home. Um, a lot of us are, you know, they're calling it the lockdown and blah, 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 making it seem, you know, much more aggressive than it is. But basically, you stay home, right? You don't go out, you're not, the restaurants are closed and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And associated with this, there's been two points. Uh, one, when, very, very early on, and you'll still see this kind of being surfaced every once in a while, people are saying this is going to be an economic catastrophe, and it is. This is going to be an economic disaster. It is. Are there going to be a lot of uh, trauma associated with it? Yes. But then they're saying in, in, um, there was this concern that somehow they're going to have these rampant increase in suicides and things because of, the, of, this, of this lockdown and the economic consequences of it, then that was going to be worse than um, the deaths associated with COVID. Like if we just unleashed everybody on the world and spread it all over the place that somehow all the deaths that would be associated with with uh, code infections would be less than the risk of suicide that first started me getting to think about that because anytime you make a statement like this that sounds like it could make sense right it, it, oh yeah that makes sense i could just see people lose their jobs and then they're jumping off buildings because that must have been what happened um in the great depression but anytime you hear something like that, the first reaction you should have is then, yes, that sounds like it makes sense. What does the research or stats or what does history say? Because when you go back, what you find is that wasn't the case. And so while there were some isolated incidents back in the Great Depression of people jumping out the windows when the stock market crashed, it wasn't widespread. What we do know, then that kind of got me into this idea of looking at other recessions and we do see that suicide rates and deaths do tend to go up during recessions like that but they're not seeing these big spikes or at least as much and dramatic as compared to what we're finding with infectious related deaths and so when it comes to covid um you know there's this idea somehow that that okay maybe it's not as aggressive as it was but there's also this pretty strong possibility we're underreporting deaths and i'm not trying to freak anybody out but it just but but there's this if you look at this data, and particularly the New York Times, which I should be showing on the screen right here. This is from the New York Times, and I would move my computer around a little bit. So April 28th, where they're saying, they're estimating that the CDC data suggests that we're underreporting coronavirus deaths. And the way they did this is kind of brilliant, because we know that there's the deaths, you have diagnosed COVID cases and deaths associated with them. Those are virtual guarantees. 
but we're also under testing and there are deaths that are not being listed as COVID. And so one way, if you want to kind of look at, well, we have something we know is pretty, pretty globally spread. So one way to give an estimate of deaths would then to be look at changes in the year to year deaths for the same, for the same time period. And so what they're looking at here and what you see on your screen is this jump. So the previous five years, you can be between January and April. Uh, over the last five years, this is the average number of deaths that New York City's had, 6,000 a week. That's a lot, right? But then you look in 2020, we have this massive uptick in deaths. And you can't explain this by things. Um, so do we have a virtual guarantee that this is related to COVID? No because we'd have to test everybody. But there's no other good explanations for why this dramatic spike in deaths occurred. It, does, it wouldn't make sense that there is car accidents, like somehow everybody all become bad drivers and smashed into each other because nobody's driving or fewer people are driving. We didn't have an earthquake. We didn't have a hurricane. We didn't have a raging fire. Um, is it likely that everybody with, uh, with heart disease all of a sudden just had a heart attack? completely unrelated to COVID? Probably not. And so you're looking at what the most likely scenario is, is that the spike in death, is this saying every death associated with this is COVID? No, but it's saying that the majority of these are probably related to COVID infections. And so you can, you see this again, every, every kind of uh, location that they're looking at, we're seeing these spikes, hard hit area, New York, Michigan is a hard hit area. Uh, Massachusetts, I haven't really been following too much. Illinois, we know Chicago has got some. Um, Colorado, but we're seeing these little spike rates here. And so I, I want to, the, the, the reason I think this is important is we know that this is, it, it, you can kind of extrapolate again, that this is a serious issue um, as compared to some of the explanations for this that I'm seeing, which have been like, oh, we know these deaths are, are going up, but you know what? It may not be COVID. It actually may be people's uh, lack of uh, access or going in for non-essential care. I mean, quite. Like, I, I've seen this posted in not only physicians but in healthcare healthcare groups, and and they're like, oh, these deaths are spiking, and I, I probably probably they're because people aren't going in to see their doctors. In fact, the New York Times article says the same thing. When um, uh, I can't find the exact little place or whatever, it's that they're basically saying that the spike is because now people are, are going in or haven't been going into the hospital or, or healthcare provider. Is that, it, are there likely some deaths associated with this? Probably some, maybe there is somebody that normally would go in with crushing chest pain, chose not to because they're scared of COVID. Mm -hmm. But I, you would have to, <laughs> that's, there's a lot of assumptions in that. Mm -hmm. One of which being is, that our routine non-essential Medicare medical care and procedures that we do are associated with significant reductions in death in the population. <laughs> I don't, I haven't seen that. In fact, I haven't necessarily seen a lot of data before the COVID epidemic that has suggested that all of this kind of non-essential care that we do is associated with, with one better health and lower and two lower mortality, uh, mortality rates. What we do know is there have been multiple studies that have looked at overutilization of non-essential, non-urgent procedures of medical care that is actually associated with 
death. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I just find it funny because as we default to this, we see a spike and then we're trying to explain it. And the next step to this would then be actually look, well, if we're going to assume that it's people who are avoiding medical care that is partly responsible for these increased spikes and deaths, we should actually look at what the effect of increased medical care has been. Mm-hmm. How well are, have we actually been treating these disease states? And we haven't been doing a good job. And we've known that for quite honestly, decades. Granted, uh, you know, people seem to be living a little bit longer, although that has to do with infant mortality, mortality rates more than anything else, but we're sicker. Um, these, and you, you just, you look at the, the medical care that we're delivering and outside of uh, these kind of acute events, when people go in and say with crushing chest pain and MI or see, coming going in with a GI blade and they're bleeding out all over the place or somebody's in an acute traumatic accident and they're needing trauma-based care, the rest of the stuff that we've done in the US healthcare system, at least to my knowledge, and again, the, my next step when we would get off this podcast is then I would start going and looking into this, is we're not associated with actually this widespread idea that somehow our interventions and all the prescriptions and everything that we do has been reflected in dramatically decreased death rates such that when we're no longer doing all that non-essential stuff, we now have these spikes that, of death that um, are associated with that as compared to being associated with COVID infection. So that was a super long explanation, but I, I hope that makes sense. Um, yeah, no, I I think um, thank you for sharing that uh, image of the article. Um, I think that there's there's a lot to say when it comes to it, this this idea of when you're doing a lot of things that you said a lot of people are will that are willing to admit that this could be causing we're doing non-essential stuff that people think is essential. Um, that can cause problems. Um, iatrogenic being a word people use for, you know, complications that can come from doing interventions, procedures, surgeries, um, or medications uh, that have an adverse effect. Um, sometimes the opposite is really hard for people to to look at um, when we don't have those things. And and I think it gets murky because there are a lot of assumptions being made with what is the reason for these spikes, but we're not looking at all the other variables, including <laughs> there's this likelihood that we are avoiding a lot of issues by not doing um, the things that are not necessary. Um, now, it, that's an important point is, is people are making the assumption that, that associated with these spike in deaths and some, they'll say, oh yeah, some of it's COVID related, but a lot, but a lot of it is related to lack of routine medical care without with, without data to support that assumption, you could just as easily state this deaths are actually worse or the, the, the death rates are actually higher than we would assume because without the lack, but because we're not no longer doing this aggressive intervention anymore. And we can say that the aggressive intervention is associated with death. So now we are eliminating those deaths. So now we have a higher death. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so we, so there, there's a bigger gap now that we're covering, and um, right. yeah, so it, so you can just as say is we can't just say that deaths are because of lack of care. We also have to say that there's a risk of death d- uh, because of the care, um, right? Without right. data, without data, you know, if we're if we're going to just throw out assumptions out there, yeah, always we're going to remember assumptions, assumption, and how we start having data that we can build upon. Right. Well, and so what 
and correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're saying is that these deaths that already look like they're spiking um, are are actually, this is even more profound and worse when you look at the fact that we're not doing these unessential things that could be, could have been contributors when we were doing it. I, I think could, could be, right? Because right. there, there was could a study be. a couple of years ago, well, maybe it's more than a couple of years now, that was looking at... Um, you mind uns unsharing your screen? Oh, yeah, I can unshare my screen. That are, uh, what was it? I can't remember the exact title, but it was, it was basically deaths that are associated with the medical system, accidental deaths. Yeah, pretty widespread, got a lot of press or whatever. That basically, um, and people were screaming about this, of course, rather than actually look and study, people were screaming, that can't be true, that can't be true. Again, if the first thing you want to say is that can't be true, is that can't be true, I should go check. Um, because what they were basically saying was, is in hospitals, right? Did you remember this? It was like hospitals because of accidental drug changes and, and, um, uh, and, and procedures that went wrong or whatever. They're, they're estimating that mortality associated with medical care was upwards of 400,000 people a year. Yes. Which is a huge number. Mm -hmm. Even half that number is 200,000. That's still so, too much. So let's just say, well, maybe it's, uh, let's say it's 10,000 a month. That's 120,000 deaths a year mm -hmm. because of overaggressive medical care. So if we're looking at, you know, those kind of data points again, now if we move, take away that 10,000 people, again, that would be through the United States. So then you'd have to spread it out a little bit more and, you know, maybe a couple hundred here and a 50 here or whatever. Um, but there's... <laughs> that's just as likely to say that we're not doing all this stuff that we know are associated with increased deaths. And so we're actually have more COVID related deaths <laughs> than reported because of there's mm -hmm. slight, you know, well, because they've already done it with cars, right? I don't know how many people have gotten refunds or credits on their auto insurance because nobody's driving. And so accident rates have decreased tremendously. Mm -hmm. And so the actual yes. data, the actual rarial data is says, well, we need to reimburse you for your whatever because your premium is actually lower because the amount of claims are down. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> I'm curious. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that the insurance, the medical insurance companies are, are, um, you know, having a little bit more of a heyday if they are still getting their premiums because um, <laughs> they're not paying for all these elective cases um, that normally would be, you know, being, you know, happening. Um, it, it made me think of, of just this eagerness for, um, and not to just call out surgeons, but um, any clinician that's been out that hadn't been making the money uh, to pay for their overhead and their staff and all that. Um, I've heard from colleagues of mine that, you know, these places that are normally working Monday through Friday are, are wanting to open up on Saturdays so they can try to make up for, you know, and, and do all those cases that they'd wanted to get done. <laughs> so to make the money, uh, to make the money. And, you know, it's just, uh, you know, the scary thing is that what if, you know, the person was just getting that surgery because they had pain and then because they've been waiting it out, they are all of a sudden their pain's gone away and they realize, well, maybe I don't need that surgery. I don't have the money for it either. <laughs> so, I don't know. Well, that, um, and that would be the benefit, right? Is because so many of these procedures, again, mo so many of the elective procedures that we do, when you actually look at the data behind them, um, the effect of not having the surgery on the outcome is actually better than having the surgery done. So I'm I'm thinking things like knee arthroscopy for a mild to moderate arthritis. I'm talking about spinal fusions for when the indication is back pain. Um, 
and, and there's abundant data on that. Yep. And, and so again, we, we talked about a couple podcasts ago, opportunities here, the opportunities are people kind of focus on, you know, return to control yourself, focus on your health, focus on what you can do, what you can control your diet, exercise, you know, social relationships and things like that. Um, it, it may kind of, and it may push out these things that people think that they need, mm-hmm. but they may, may realize that they don't just doing these simple interventions. So it gives them that, it builds them that space to actually, to, to, to really recover from but they're rushing, you know, these groups are just rushing back into it. And I, I understand that. It's like, it's money. It's it, there's in totally incentivized to do it. The model is completely collapsing without this profit stream of, of non-essential uh, overutilized care. Um, but that doesn't mean it's right. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean yeah. it's the right thing to do. Right. Well, I think, you know, I guess the focus for this, this podcast is this sense of, you know, you know, we talked about that that article and and these this perception of of increased deaths that are that are occurring, um, and there's a lot of assumptions being made. Um, but in general, these these um, the situation of people in the public that could have been getting these essential surgeries, um, but aren't getting these surgeries. Um, I think it's a point of reflection on, um, you know, the data and, and the things that we know is that there are people that can get better without these interventions. And we know that there's also data to show that, that um, people can be killed or, you know, you know, their pain can get worse uh, from pursuing these interventions that people need to really be mindful during this time and, and, and recognize that, this is an opportunity. Uh, it, the system is so big, you know, you know, that it's hard to change the whole system, but an individual listening to this can really kind of take matter in their own hands and really be mindful of, of the decisions they're making for their own health. And, um, you know, recognize that what you thought was emergent or urgent may not be as urgent as you think. <laughs> I mean, even the nature of not being able to get a procedure, um, should make you think that, okay, I'm thinking that I need this. It's not essential based on the rulings and a lot of the executive orders out there, but um, any, any big points from, from this conversation about um, various assumptions and spikes and deaths with COVID and non-essential surgeries? I think the biggest one for me is just that we default this idea that our healthcare system is this amazing thing that that prevents all these deaths and does so much good. Um, and that's because we want to believe that. And so we, we make these assumptions even here that these spikes are related to people not getting quote unquote, you know, medical care. But I want people to become a little bit more cognizant and aware of the fact that that doesn't seem to be true that when you actually look at the data, the outcomes that we have in our healthcare system are pretty atrocious, that most of these non-essential procedures being done are non-essential, that the outcomes associated with them are bad, that they're high cost, that they're profit-driven, that their people are being pushed to them and there's some significant side effects with it. So I, I, and so my own, my, my, I guess my overall thing is I just want people to rather than default to this assumption that the healthcare industry has got your best interests out there to recognize that the healthcare's interest, the healthcare industry's best interest is in the healthcare industry's best interest, and not necessarily yours. So, um, 
so just, you know, if you, you find that you find yourself kind of defaulting this idea that we need to rush back and, and we need to open this stuff up for, for medical, non-essential medical care, um, be willing to challenge those assumptions a little bit because it doesn't seem to be, it, it, it's, if we want to believe it, it's easy. It's an easy thing to kind of assume. Um, but like a lot of things in health, it doesn't seem to be kind of aligning up with what, what our overall data from pretty much decades of overaggressive, high overutilization. Uh, um, in our healthcare system, it doesn't seem to line up with that very well. Yeah. And just one of my last comments, I I pulled up where the United States ranks. Um, There was an 11 country study. It was uh, was 2017 when this came out. Um, And this is in the Commonwealth Fund um, website, but the overall ranking for the, you know, the U S is ranked at, you know, pretty much 11 uh, 11th compared to the UK, Australia, Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Sweden, Switzerland, Germany, Canada, and France. And that's based on care process, access, administrative efficiency, equity, and healthcare outcomes. And healthcare outcomes was definitely ranked 11th. Um, and it pretty much was Is that 11 out of 11th? 11, 11 out of 11. Yeah, that's not surprising at all. No. And so that just goes to show you the only thing that was higher than they were ranked 11 for overall ranking access, uh, no, uh, equity, healthcare outcomes, and they're ranked 10th for administrative efficiency. We know it's not efficient and access. uh, Obviously I said was 11th, but the care process, I'm not quite sure what that entails, but it's saying it's fifth, but it nowhere ranks even in the top, you know, among above, number five, but overall ranked at 11. So I, I think that's just, um, now granted, everyone can have their own study and it probably ranked differently, but I've never seen the U.S. ranked number one. Um, they, they, I don't think they've ever been ranked number one. Because no. if you look at the other, like the, the global studies, the one I'm thinking of is um, like health outcomes, we were like 37th out of the 100 and whatever nations that went would participate in the study or whatever. We're like next to Sol. Not, not, no offense, lives like Slovakia. And if it wasn't Slovakia, I apologize to Slovakia because you're probably better. Yeah. But, um, you know, and, and it's, it's just, you see these propagated myths of how glorified and, and, and everybody other outside the United States hates their healthcare, except for everybody I know who's outside the United States doesn't say that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have a friend of mine uh, who's an expat and lives in Colombia and, uh, her husband, I think, had an emergency appendectomy, and the only thing she could think of is, "Oh my God, I'm so glad we're in Colombia. This happened, mm. right?" Because, uh, or maybe they were here. What it was something crazy. And then there was another one. I was at a conference, and some poor girl from Canada had. Um, she just got sick, mm-hmm. and uh, ended up they had some doctor came to the hotel and, and prescribed her quite literally a Z pack, like. Mm. And there's a whole bunch of issues with that. You know what yeah. her bill was? Three thousand. Thirty-five hundred bucks. Oh my gosh. Thirty-five hundred bucks. I I mean I was embarrassed. I was like, are it's you kidding me? Yeah. Um. Yeah. It, it, so yeah. Anyway, it's 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 nuts. So the the idea that we're not doing all this non-essential care, other than the fact that it's it's and this may not be a bad thing either. It's putting significant stress on healthcare industries, the healthcare business industry. From a personal health standpoint, this may not be a bad thing at all. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think there's a lot of lessons uh, to be learned, a lot of data to still to pick at and to, you know, 
realize the implications of what's going on and how um, broken the medical system has been. Um, I think we're, we're yet to see how this all unveils itself, but um, any last thoughts? I think it's uh, very clear that, that uh, we've made a couple points already about how we want to empower people to recognize the limitations of our current medical system and how they can help themselves. No, I, I, yeah, I think we kind of, this was sort of a grim episode. We always hammer it. <laughs> and and it's, it's like one of those things is just like, and we, we've talked about this, it's, it just becomes more and more and more important to return a sense of personal control of your health yeah. and to kind of remove these false idols of, oh, the healthcare industry, it's just, it's just such a great thing. It isn't a great thing. And, um, and, and there's just great all, people in it. There's great but. people in it. There are great people in it, but just a little bit of awareness and a little yeah. bit of personal in, uh, in initiative. And, and there's so many more resources now that can help people to help themselves to get healthy is why would you want to take away that control from yourself? Why, you know, why, why would, why would you want to put yourself in a situation where you're going back into that, that, that raging river of healthcare that wants to bash you against the rocks and throw you off the cliff just because you want a little drink of water. So yeah. anyway, that's my last point. Maybe we should label it H E L L T H care health. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's like hell getting through it. Anyway, that's probably a bad analogy <laughs> or different wording. Sorry. Right. I guess we can end this here. <laughs> Do I get to close it out now? Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us today for the Pain Dwarf Podcast. I'm Dr. Kevin with my co-host, Dr. Katie, uh, encouraging you to stay well and stay safe during the, the COVID, apo COVID apocalypse. <laughs> but until next time, stay well, guys. Bye. Thank you for joining us today on the Pain Dora podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know through a five-star rating on iTunes or your current podcast listening service. And be sure to check out the information and resources available at Pandora.com.